Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. I'm so happy to be back recording podcasts. Um, it has been a absolutely wild and crazy month as we have officially moved into our new house in Pottstown. Um, we are still not yet fully unpacked, but I have enough of a makeshift podcast studio that we can be recording again. Uh, we have also officially launched Open Table United Church of Christ. We've had a couple of worship services now, and we are firing on all cylinders. If you are interested in finding out more about our church, you can visit opentablepotstown.com. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, opentablepotstown.com. Uh, our worship services are at the Steel River Playhouse on High Street and right in the middle of Pottstown at 10 o'clock in the morning on uh, on Sundays. You can also find us on YouTube and on our website. Uh, we're trying to be as accessible as possible. So we would love for you to join us on a Sunday um, or whenever it is or wherever it is that you're able to. Today, we are really excited to welcome one of our good friends and somebody who is doing a lot of really important work in the area, uh, Will Fuller. He is the regional director of Power Metro, which is something that he'll explain in greater detail at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, suffice it to say, he is an advocate for uh, justice of all kinds. He has a master's in education as well as in theology. So he is somebody who cares deeply about our public schools and everything that he does, he does with uh, a really thoughtful spirit-filled theological backing. Um, the work that he does for power is really important, and we as a church and we as individuals have been involved with that. And so um, it's a really fun conversation, and I think you'll enjoy. Well, we're so glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here. Um, you are the first person to be in this partially completed podcast studio. Um <laughs> Huge honor. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. You have no idea how much of an honor this truly is for you. Uh, <laughs> so, Will, we wanted to have you on the podcast because um, you're doing a million things <clears throat> in the area, you and uh, and Power. And I, we have a lot of folks who listen who are local, a lot of folks who are clergy, a lot of folks who are interested in doing good things for people. So we wanted to learn not only what power is, what you do, how you got here, but also what's going on now and a million other things that we need to cover in the next 45 minutes. So here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the very basic level, what is power? So power uh, interfaith is a group of about 80 congregations across Southeastern Pennsylvania um, we are working for racial and economic justice on a livable planet. So that's kind of the guide mm. to everything that we do. So we're people mm. of different faith traditions, races, class, um, socioeconomic level, geography, et cetera, who've come together around this idea, right? That, um, you know, people of faith are called to be in the public arena and they're called to impact and help the communities flourish that they live in, right? 
And one of the ways that we do that is through policy. Um, so the main things we work on right now are fair funding. So trying to um, have the state um, distribute all of the state's share of uh, budgets for local school districts fairly. Uh, we do some climate justice work, but we're always on the lookout for new issues. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I love about community organizing is it's really adaptive to the nature of the problems of the communities it's in. So we listen, we try to find out where the, the people closest to the pain are hurting, where there's problems in communities, and then teach people how to make change through the lens of their faith. That was an amazing uh, <laughs> elevator speech. I'm so very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so a lot of the reasons why I know Will is because um, as a pastor in Pottstown, I've been very connected to the fight for uh, education funding equality. Hmm. Um, and we recently had a pretty significant win. Uh, do you mind sharing about that? Yeah, sure. So um, the, the most recent budget that was passed this year included um, $525 million increase in education funding hmm. and hmm. Um, an increase in level up funding, which was targeted funding for the 100 most shortchanged districts in the state. So that combined put us over $700 million total added to the budget. Hmm. And all of that gets filtered through the FAIR formula. And in fact, the level up funding is directly to those 100 short change districts. So that and, impacts Pottstown. And Pot, yeah, I was going to say Pottstown yeah. is definitely one of those. Yeah. Uh, Do you know offhand how much Pottstown is underfunded? Uh, underfunded, it's around $13 million per year. With this year, they actually received $3.9 million more than they had received the year before. So wait, are you still 13? Uh, oh, around under? 10 now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. $10 million underfunded. <laughs> and we're rooting for, you know, three less. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a win. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I have learned a lot by working with you, Will, is that progress is not, it doesn't usually happen a lot all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's incremental stuff. And I, I wonder if you could share a little bit about um, that work. Uh, especially I, I know for me, I, I get discouraged. Like, yeah. well, for 13, like, you know, even four thousand four four million, that doesn't even put like it doesn't feel like it puts a dent, but it <laughs> yeah. it certainly does. For sure. Yeah. I think I mean, I think a lot of times when we get into justice work, we live in the world as it should be, but we forget that we operate in the world as it is, right? And I, yeah. I mean I I fall prey to that too. Yeah. So I think early on, especially when we first started the campaign, you know, we had been a part of a coalition that had gotten the formula passed. This is 2015, 2016. Hmm. Then the legislature prom promptly passed the formula and only applied it to the new money that they were putting in the budget for the consecutive years after they passed it. Hmm. So that left, you know, 95% of the budget virtually <laughs> untouched and distributed the same old way. And really the first three or four years of us pushing for 100% fair funding, there wasn't a lot of not just victory, but even like signs we were moving toward victory, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we just, we got a lot of slam doors, a lot of no's, a lot of yeah. we'll sees that didn't end up to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, sitting in a diner on Hanover street with one of our power leaders, Marlene, and we're just like, is this worth it? Mm. You know? And I think 
when you're in justice work, you know, you, you read stories in scripture about people experiencing some miraculous things and justice coming about and you forget the timeline involved and you forget that like, there's mm. not the full story given of like how many nights they spent wondering if God was gonna be faithful to a promise or wondering if things were gonna change. Yeah. So yeah, there were a lot of moments where I think we just wondered if we could actually, if this was actually possible. Mm. Um, and I think we have to prepare people in justice work for that as like a natural part of the process. <laughs> that yeah. what we're after is progress and not perfection, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And that we have to celebrate little wins. Like we we have to make it a ritual to be like exuberant about every little thing that we went on to create a That's culture good. of like moving towards some direction, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really, a really good antidote for faith in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, it can be easy to, to lose sight of, of growth uh, when it's coming very slow um, or you've been fighting the same thing for years. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I have a really hard time with that, with uh, uh, climate activism. Mm -hmm. I know that's an issue that Power is uh, working on now. That's kind of a newer initiative, right? Mm -hmm. Where it just seems like every time you just fight and fight and fight and fight. And then there's like some little incremental victory and you take a step back and look at the grand view and it doesn't seem worth it. It doesn't seem possible, but you can make a big enough difference in systems this big to, to change anything, um, mm. anything meaningful anyway, mm -hmm. that's going to, that's going to um, deter the path of, doomsday down the road. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I have uh, a lot of respect for folks who are able to keep hope in the midst of all of these slamming doors and incremental change. I'm glad you're doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I could too. use a little bit of that hope, I think. <laughs> I'm glad that you're um, reminding us to keep at it as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think, at least for me, um, when I'm not in contact with you, I might not be thinking about it, right? Because um, there's so many things that are, you know, so uh, so we need people <laughs> like you to, to keep bringing us back to mm. that. Thanks. Yeah, I, someone told me, one of our other uh, directors, Nathan Soy, who's a longtime organizer, told me one time that all organizing is reminding. Mm. And in a sense, I think that's true both as an organizer and I think it's pastorally true as Absolutely. well, right? Mm -hmm. Like our, as faith leaders, whether you're leading a congregation or you're trying to organize, you know, a faith community, it's, it's reminding people of their values, reminding people of the mm -hmm. story we're in, reminding people of who they care about mm -hmm. and grounding what we do in those things instead of having everyone spend their time looking at what they're doing. I think it's easy to focus on what you're doing and then lose sight yeah. of why, right? <laughs> or like that it's moving anywhere. And and I've, yeah. the task for us, and I mean, it, we need it just as much as mm -hmm. like parishioners or leaders in an organization to be reminded of the who and the why and where it's headed, mm. you know? And that my job, like our job isn't ultimately to, to like, solve everything it's to like do faithfully our part in the bigger picture and that's where for me faith comes in right of like there are other people out there doing these little 
small incremental things too. And that actually builds some collective power if we could get it all geared toward the same direction. Um, but it's one of those seasons that I think more, we've always needed it, but don't, I mean, I just feel like in this season we're in right now, it's just more so than ever. Like we need that constant anchoring in the who and the why. There's so many things getting in the way of that. Yeah. I mean, practically, how do you organize that? I, f- I feel like we're all doing good work in our own little silos. <laughs> and h- how do we bring that together so that we can have a bigger impact? Yeah. I mean, so like I can speak a little bit about the process of organizing and then I can give an example that we have coming up of that playing out. So in organizing, we talk about it really as like four movements of a symphony or four big parts of a cycle, right? So the first one is one-to-one meetings, sitting down Mm -hmm. with people Mm -hmm. individually where you share stories, you surface values, and you start to hear about the things that are in the way of people's flourishing. Hmm. You do enough of those and some common themes start to emerge. Hmm. Um, Whether it's just common problems centered around a potential common issue or whether it's common pains, Hmm. you know, you listen first and then you call people together and you start learning about what's the issue behind the problem, right? So for every amorphous problem like education, there's a specific issue like fair funding that we have to decide whether we have the ability to win on or not. So you lead people through that process of meeting with community leaders, talking with other communities who've encountered similar situations, kind of fact-finding and discovering more information and then assessing whether you have the ability to win on it now or not. Because we don't really encourage people to necessarily tackle things right away that they can't win on. but figuring out what a win is. And then you move into action, right? Which action is public tension that you raise. And we do that through the lens of our faith to create a reaction in the decision maker that we want to change their mind on. Someone who has the power to give us what we want Hmm. um, on the issue. We raise the tension to where they're forced to make a choice, whether to do what we ask or not. And then we evaluate, do we have the power to do that? Do we win? Do we lose? And that sends us back into those individual conversations. Hmm. Um, so those are the four movements. It's listening, research, action, evaluation. Um, we've been moving into sort of an action phase with power. And that's so it's a concrete example of what we're up to now. We're having a refounding convention on October 22nd, Saturday, hmm. uh, 4 to 7 p.m. at St. Paul's Baptist Church in Westchester. And it's really a come and see event for people to learn more about who we are Hmm. And it's also a celebration of the work that we've done. So we want to talk about the millions of dollars that we've won in fair funding and what that means for kids. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about the issues we care about, like voting, like climate change. We want to commit publicly together to the work ahead, right? We're living in times where now more than ever, people who are people of faith have to get clear on what that means and what it looks like to show up in public with love. Mm-hmm. Um so it's our chance really to, to have an action where we can invite more people into the movement. Um, and that's taken time to get to, right? We've been organizing to get to this culminating event, but um, we're excited about uh, what we think is going to happen that day. So a refounding event? A refounding just, convention. Is this yeah. like renewing your vows? A little bit, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'll show up in my wedding dress. <laughs> I'm just curious about why my, that why that word, refounding. Is, it, is this like you guys are, are 
thinking about this as as step one of a of a new era? Are you getting back to basics? Is this uh, you just wanted to see if you fit in your wedding dress? <laughs> the no to that last one for sure for me. Um, you don't fit in your no, wedding dress not anymore. anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, so we founded as as a an off branch of Power, right? So Power Metro being the four suburban counties that are involved with Power Interfaith, the statewide organization. Mm. We started in 2015 and we had an original convention in Lansdale. Um, and it was sort of our public, like, here's who we are and here's what we're committed to, right? But that was you know, seven years ago, seven plus years ago. And a lot has happened geopolitically and, you know, et cetera, since then. I think COVID time counts as 10 years. So, Can you say what counties are the four counties? Yeah. So Bucks County, Chester County, Montco, and Delaware County. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a refounding is sort of a, it's an opportunity to look back at where we started and where we've come Um, And also, yeah, almost a 2.0 in in a sense, right? Mm. Like we're, we are who we are and we're also stepping into a new place in the life of our organization. Mm. We've grown, we've expanded, we're, um, and the the moment has grown too. Like we need to meet the moment we're in um, and we're inviting Mm. people to to join us with that. Mm. That feels a lot like what we're, trying to do as a church we're, we're you know um what what you know re, our the name of our podcast is reimagining faith what does it mean to be the church in 2022 um with the political climate with um the climate um <laughs> the climate climate yeah the climate climate um and uh yeah what is it what does it mean so i i think we're really excited to join can people join online for that event or do they have to be there in person? We're asking folks to show up in person and we are going to record the service and have it available Mm -hmm. afterward online for people. Um, We're asking people if they want to come to register beforehand so we can get a head count for food because we're going to have a light dinner there. Mm. And we want to be able to- I saw that. That was what like (laughs) helped me pull the trigger. Yeah, I was like, all right. Me too, actually. (laughs) That was the reason I decided to come. (laughs) Well, there'll be a link in the show notes down. Yeah. Yeah. Down below, wherever it is that you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They all look different. And so there's also this like, bus tour that's happening. Mm. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, Uh, we're busy. We're very busy. Um, So it started with a conversation in July with some of our clergy and faith leaders around, you know, this this sort of growing public awareness of white Christian nationalism, right? Mm. So the political ideology that it was, what it meant for people of faith, uh, what it meant for politics, mm. and, and what did it look like to offer an alternative vision for public action and belonging for people who mm. maybe were on the fence about that as a political identity, right? Like we know oftentimes in political climates, there's 20% at the far left, 20% at the far right. But for us as a C3, we operate oftentimes in that middle 60. <laughs> so what does it look like for us as faith leaders to take the lead in offering an alternative 
to that vision of white Christian nationalism that's rooted in our faith, but is belonging and inclusive and includes policies that actually lead to thriving and flourishing for communities, right? Mm. Mm. Um, And so out of that conversation grew this idea for doing a bus tour for faith leaders across the state of Pennsylvania. So we're calling it the Freedom Express. And the tagline is, yeah, all aboard. So that hashtag all aboard with power. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yes. Um, The tagline is healing our faith in democracy. Hmm. Um, We believe that there's a lot of folks out there that are just looking for something different. Mm -hmm. And we believe that the solution to our times lives inside of us. And we have to step into that moment and meet it with a better alternative for what Pennsylvania could look like. That is irrespective of party. That's like Mm -hmm. rooted and grounded in love and is being led by people of faith. So starting October 18th and then finishing up November 4th, we're gonna be getting on a bus and going across the state of Pennsylvania and stopping at different towns along the way. Uh, We'll be in the Lehigh Valley, Scranton. We'll be in Pittsburgh. We'll be out in Washington County in coal country um, central PA and we'll end in, uh, Harrisburg. So we'll have interfaith services. We'll have trainings. We'll do press conferences. We'll have shared meals with community members. And we'll talk about like, what are the things that are facing you in your community? Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the, the ways that, um, you know, white Christian nationalism is being supported actually by uh, funders who are very clear about the fact that they're pouring money into this as an ideology with Mm -hmm. very specific aims in mind that Mm -hmm. don't benefit really anybody, no matter what party you're affiliated with. Um, And then to talk about, you know, what power stands for. What do we, what do we think racial and economic justice on a livable planet looks like? Why is that beneficial for everyone, regardless of what race you are? Why is that beneficial for everyone, regardless of what class you're in, you know, like, and imagining with people what it could look like for people across lines of difference in faith traditions to actually come together and present an alternate agenda that both parties have to turn their heads and listen to. Like, that's what we want to, we will at least start the conversation with that. Hmm. Um, So that's what the bus tour is about. Um, I'm excited. I'll be on it. Uh, There's still room. So if, if anyone is on this and they're interested, um, there's still room to get on the bus. So whoop, whoop. <laughs> All aboard. Do they have to sleep on the bus too? No, we're going to, we'll be staying along the way. So oh, okay. you won't have to sleep on the bus. I mean, you can take a nap, I guess, if you get tired. <laughs> is the stop, is there going to be a stop in Pottstown? Yes, actually. Yeah. So um, the same day as the convention, October 22nd, um, we are going to partner with the YWCA, Tri-County mm. area. Shout mm-hmm. out to the YW. They're mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the YWCA is doing a week without violence. Um, mm. And the culminating event is a block party out in front of their office. I believe it's going to start at 10. Um, we'll have to fact check that. But uh, we're going to show up at the block party with the YWCA. And the clergy uh, that are on the bus tour will be there. Um, Is that right in front of First Baptist? Yes. Okay. Right in front of First Baptist Mm -hmm. Church. Uh, We'll do some uh, door knocking, talking with people about registering to vote, talking with people about what issues they care about, what they want to see happen in this election. Mm. Um, 
and then spending some time with people in the community, right? Like I think mm. Pottstown, I think it's such an amazing, vibrant community with so much collegiality and people love each other and they love Pottstown. And I'm excited for our other, you know, clergy leaders across the state to feel that because mm-hmm. uh, it's a special vibe. Um, so, yeah. Isn't Pottstown like the best? The best. I just, just, <laughs> Don't you just want to move here? Don't you just want to like move here and yeah. Um, join a church. Join a church. Start a new church. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that vibe. I love that vibe. Mm. And yeah. It's special. It's very special. Mm. It's very, very special. So what does it look like to get involved with power? Uh, if if somebody is listening, they've never, I mean, I'm sure they could come to the refounding convention, um, but if they can't uh, and they want to get involved, what what can they do? What can they, I imagine there's a lot of different answers to that question. Yeah, I mean, I would say the, it starts with a conversation. So mm. whether it's with me whether it's with another power leader, organizing happens best as a product of relationship. And so mm-hmm. if there's someone out there who, you know, you've been toiling away doing justice work and you feel alone and you just want to connect with like-minded people, or maybe you're a person of faith and you're looking at the current climate and you're like, this doesn't stand for what I believe in and want to find a different way to engage. Like we'd love to sit down over coffee or food with you and talk with you about your story. Hmm. Talk with you about what we do. Um, see if it's a good fit. I mean, it's relational and it's also one of those things that, you know, organizing demands things of people. You know, it demands mm-hmm. commitment. It demands follow through uh, risk in some mm. ways, right? Because yeah. we're we're drawing attention to change that needs to be made and that's not always comfortable. Hmm. But on top of having a conversation and I'm happy to leave my contact information, you know, for for folks to follow up with. Um, there's lots of training opportunities, uh, lots of ways to get connected to the broader power network. And the best place to do that would be our website. So powerinterfaith.org. Okay. Okay. Uh, we have a calendar on there of events, especially right now with our voting work and with the bus tour. There's so many ways that no matter where you live, you can come and see what we're about and meet some good people um, mm-hmm. and find out more about um, our organization and what we do. It's hmm. awesome. So of all the issues tons of issues. They're all interconnected. They're all related. You can't take one out of isolation. That being said, where is... You can ask him what his favorite one is. (laughs) What's your your favorite injustice? Your favorite injustice. (laughs) I mean, not when you say it like that. Uh, Say, where where is your heart most most impassioned in, in these issues? That's such a good question. I, I ask that a lot and I don't know if I get asked that ever. <laughs> if I had to pick one. <laughs> um, you know, I got into the work with power because of education, mm. right? So I grew up in Western Kentucky. Um, my dad just retired uh, from being a high school teacher for 20 plus years. He was a high school coach. My sister is currently a high school teacher. My mom's a school nurse. Mm. Uh, my aunt was a two aunts that were English teachers. So for me growing up, you know, in pretty rural Western Kentucky, public education was like my ticket into mm. access opportunity. Um, mm. I would not be where I am today without really amazing educators who were also people of faith. You know, mm. um, and I think that 
school for me was not just about learning content. It was about forming me into a certain type of person mm-hmm. that was curious about culture, curious mm-hmm. about people who were different from me, aware of differences and actually honoring those mm-hmm. um, and learning how to learn, right? Like I think that yeah. once you mm-hmm. get hooked on learning, it never stops. And I just, I value that a lot. And so coming into this work, you know, being able to work on something like fair funding, being able to work with the people we do in the school districts, like every day I'm blown away at what folks in public school systems do with what they're being given, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things that we we take money away from, but it's one of the most crucial places of formation for everybody in our society. And it always pays back its investment, right? Like it's the most yeah. safe investment you can make. And to me, as people of faith, you know, I believe that like my faith as a, as a Christian, like I'm called into public spaces to show up and to be active in the healing and the rebuilding of those places. Mm-hmm. And education gives me the opportunity to do that on a pretty big scale, especially with this campaign. Um, so that's the one that really gets me is like, what would it look like for every kid in this state, no matter what zip code they lived in, to have the option of going to an awesome public school that's going to shape them, form them, where they're going to get great, consistent teaching, where they're going to learn about the world, and they're going to walk away being a, the type of citizen that's really going to have a positive impact on PA and, and the United States and the world. It seems mm-hmm. really dangerous for those who are uh, already entrenched in power to uh, not power interfaith, but you know, <laughs> power, power, to have uh, a well-educated young populace. Uh, I think people are very invested in making sure that children don't have those opportunities. So they don't start asking too many questions about why things are the way they are. Not to be all tinfoil hat, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like the, uh, one of the big arguments against, you know, uh, cheap or free higher education is that it affects military enlistment because <laughs> kids who don't have any other options, mm-hmm. you know, join the military mm-hmm. so they can get an education. Um, I've heard people like politicians say that quiet part out loud that mm-hmm. like we have to keep them poor and uh, undereducated so that we can then use their bodies and you mm. know exploit their exploit their poverty for for our own good mm. and there's like there's so many different issues of justice and the, the 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 lack of human flourishing all tied up it seems with every single issue like there's just not an issue that is an issue everything exists in connection with like 13 other issues yeah right absolutely there's also this idea that if I if I budge for another person, I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. And so I think in in my experience with with power and 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 learning about the inequalities, I mean, like literally, like there's a line mm-hmm. um, from one town or borough to the next that. There is this idea that if if I give to this, then I'm going to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's not enough for everybody, and that I'm not going to give so that others yeah. can flourish. I'm not even going to. I'm I'm not even going to 
to face the direction <laughs> of that because, well, how am I going to tell these other kids that they're not going to get what they want? And and I, I mean that that certainly comes from where you're going to get your votes, how you're going to get elected. Um, I mean the, the the rabbit hole you can keep oh, yeah. going down, you yeah. know. Um, and so, you know, what what does it look like for it to be equal? Um, and, and equal doesn't just mean that we get the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if 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 one if one is starting much lower, mm-hmm. being equal doesn't mean giving you anyway. Yeah. No. I mean. Uh, Hundred percent. Human selfishness. How do you how how do you combat that? You know how do you? Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, tell us how to I overcome that. Can you um, solve the human problem, please? Next time, solving the human problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to need to be a two part series. Yeah, at uh, least two parts. Yeah. I mean, I think so. That com- I mean, it comes up all the time, right? You're yeah. right, and when we talk about fair funding, inevitably we get that question of like, why should I take away money from these kids to give to these kids? Yep. To me, the way I approach that question is different with people of faith than it is with people out and about in the community because mm. I think there's a strategic element when you're talking about it at a community level and then there's a theological issue that I think yes. we bump up against when it's like an in-house conversation, right? So mm-hmm. like if I'm talking with Christian folks at a church and they say that, I mean, inevitably we go back to the gospel, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I think the question is just, if God adopted that attitude toward us, mm-hmm. where would we be, right? Mm-hmm. But right. what we see in God is the incarnation shows that in our need, God did not think it unreasonable to be lavish in not only what God gave us through the gift of grace, but in showing up on our terms, on our turf as we are, mm-hmm. right? that there's a fundamental going toward and not a hoarding of and a pulling away from that is yeah. fundamental to the nature of God. Now you can't like explain that in front of 60 people <laughs> when someone <laughs> asks that question. Yeah. But I think you, for me, I always respond with the question to plant the seed that I can follow up with, right? Mm-hmm. So like coming back to always like, what's the fundamental posture of Jesus and Jesus's approach to humanity there's also just a lot of good stories in scripture that are like fundamentally against that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have the example of the people working in the field yeah. where some cats show up at 8 a.m. and they're working all day. Other cats show up at five and they get paid the same wage. Yep. And it, and people, I mean, they rail in the story, right? <laughs> like that's not fair. Like people shouldn't get more or should get as much as us who didn't bear the heat of the day. Mm. And ultimately in the parable, right? Like the the person who's given out the money is like, I get to decide what I do with this. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's my money. <laughs> yeah. And like lavishness is a way of life for God. And therefore mm. it has to be a way of life for the Christ follower. Mm. Yeah. Without the fear that there won't be enough because we also serve a God that somehow, you know, gets basketfuls of leftovers out of a weird bread and fish meal, you know, or (laughs) like takes 12 people and changes an entire globe and multiplies that. Like if God is the one who's created the heavens and the earth, I think God can figure out how to replenish resources. You know, that's the theological side. I think the practical side with that question, you know, is um, education is one of those things where we can either pay 
upfront for people to build people into the types of communities we would want to have, or we pay later for the failure to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm. So we can take a look at the budget and we can look at line items, how much we pay to incarcerate people per person. Mm. Last I checked, it's like $40,000 per inmate, right? In our state. And talk Mm. about how that $40,000 probably would have been a lot better invested (laughs) in a kid's education. I mean, there are states in the country who base beds in prisons for future building on second and third grade reading levels Mm. because they know the correlation between lack of education and where people end up later on down the line, right? And I think, again, Marlene Armato, one of our power leaders, I think she says it so succinctly and so well. It's like, you can pay to educate people now or you can pay the cost of not doing that later. Hmm. Either way, there's a cost, right? And it doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter how insulated you become from the reality of the world we're in. Sooner or later, it's gonna impact you economically. Mm -hmm. It's gonna impact you in the community when you go out and you're interacting with people from different places. Um, So obviously that challenge has to come through relationship, but there are questions we plant for someone who would say, why would I give more so that Hmm. others can have more? There's ways that we ask agitational questions to make people confront what they're saying and what the implications are of it. Agitational questions. I know. I that love is that. A, that is a great phrase. Agitation. <laughs> that that will be the and not name irritation, of, right? No. no, like we're not aggravating, we're not irritating, but we're putting yeah. a little pebble in the shoe. If you ever you're trying to, start to get a, a response, you're trying to elicit someone yeah. to think. We want them to have their own revolution. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about organizing: is you learn the power of a well-timed question, whether it's in an individual meeting or a group that's just going to sit there and do its work hmm. and keep, keep pushing people internally and they do their own wrestling. Like that's, that's how change happens. I think with people. That'll be the name of your podcast. Agitational uh, questions. <laughs> with Will I know I'm, I'm <laughs> episode I'm loving one, that. how to change human nature. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with pride? Start with, <laughs> we'll just... with pride. <laughs> But not the not the good kind, the, yeah. the, the bad kind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh. yeah. What else might we ask? What would you like people to know? I mean, I think just like so reflecting on how I ended up where I am and doing where, what I'm doing. Yes. Um I think it's easy in progressive justice circles, especially in people of faith to exhibit some of the same behaviors that fundamentalist Christians exhibit, just mm. with a different set of 10 commandments and a different like mm. belief system. Mm. And what I, the reason I bring that up is like, I think that regardless of the political line you fall upon, it's a lot less of a line and more like a horseshoe. And the hmm. two ends get closer mm. and closer, the more extreme ends that they get. So for me, there's a, there's a, there's a place in which in justice work, people have to feel like they belong first. Hmm. And then they learn the believing and the, the like way of behaving, way of acting, like way of looking at the world through relationship and through walking alongside a community of people that has their back no matter what, right? Hmm. And I think we do people a, a major disservice if we say that you have to believe all the right things, know all the right phrase words and code words, 
talk <laughs> about, you know, anti-racism perfectly or talk about whatever, like through the right lens first before you can be a part of what we're up to. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like in my background, that was exactly what I experienced growing up as a yeah. fundamentalist Christian. And that's a lot of the reason why people walked away because they just didn't feel a sense of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think, you know, growing up conservative Southern Baptist in a rural community in Kentucky, ending up working for an interfaith social justice organization in Philly, it's <laughs> like yeah. really funny. And I would just say that what happened for me was a series of encounters, mm. right? With yeah. systems, with God, with things not being okay the way they were that forced me to go back and reevaluate how I was approaching the world and what I believed. And like, I thank God, like there were people to kind of walk with me through that, that were okay with where I was in the process. Mm. They knew I didn't really have it all figured reminder. out, right? It's yeah. a really good reminder. Like partners in the journey, yeah. almost spiritual directors, are. but yep. like in a justice sense, you know, like, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing the work out of what I believe, I, you know, like that hasn't changed, but the way that that lives itself out in the everyday has changed significantly because of those encounters. Right. So, and I thank God for putting me in positions where I was able to have those. I think that in of itself is like, I feel really grateful about, but I just feel like that's important to say, like, it doesn't matter where you're at starting the journey. What matters is to take the first step and to find people who are willing to walk with you as you figure it out, who are able Mm. to hold relationship with you and say, I'm not going to, you know, reject you because you don't know the exact word to describe this, like, you know, sociological phenomenon at the <laughs> intersection of this and this, right? Like, yeah. but you can name it and you know what it looks like in your community and you want to do something about it. Relationship is not being pulled away from you. And we're going to, we're going to learn with you how to show up well for other people. Yes. You know, we're going to learn with you how to describe things that are going on in a way that, that doesn't hurt people right? Or doesn't mm. offend people from where they're coming from. Um, those are things people can learn along the way, but if they've got the willingness, like we got to meet them and direct them on the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I, that's what happened for me. And I feel really grateful for that, you know, and, and it, all it takes is like a little leaning toward curiosity and wanting to know more. And I think God does so much with that, just that little bit of faith, you know? Yeah. So, if there are people, yeah, listening to this that are, you know, like they just don't know where to begin and they want to be involved, but maybe they're afraid. Like I think, you know, for the rest of folks listening to this who've been involved for a while, like, you know, the question is like, what are you doing to be a partner in the journey with someone who maybe um, doesn't have all the right words, but has like a really pure heart to, to learn and to change. I think, especially for mm. white people, mm. right? Yes. That is, that to me is the, the white fragility that hangs us up is not the white fragility of being able to talk about race. It's the white fragility of being unable to go and spend time with our white brothers and sisters who don't have it perfectly figured out and bearing with them as they learn on the journey. That's the part where we misstep. That's the part where we need more people. And that's like, for me, what happened to help me get to the place where I was. That is such a good point. Yeah. That uh, how little patience we have with people who have good intentions, but are not there, mm-hmm. or at least aren't where we are or where we imagine that we are, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. That you're not, you're not quite woke enough. 
mm. you know, in the most pejorative sense. Mm -hmm. But that, yeah, I, I'm guilty of that. I know I am. I'm remembering, remembering how humiliating it is to have to acknowledge those hard parts, right? Like, yeah, to to remember when you say the wrong thing. When you say the wrong thing and you either just offend somebody you respect, somebody who you want to love, um, or you just look like a fool. Like, <laughs> that is embarrassing. It brings shame mm -hmm. and it shuts things down. And, and if we want to keep it open... Um, we got to be willing to give people a chance. Yeah, yeah, a lot of chances. I mean, I, I need the chances all. Oh, me too. All the time, um, yeah. and I mean, you know, racism is is one of those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we, if if we can all come to that place where we're open to learning, which means we're open to failing, mm -hmm. we should expect to fail. Yeah. Um then we can offer that to other people. Yeah, and failing's not, a, doesn't mean we're a failure, right? Mm. Right. Like one of the things I think is, that was hardest for me to come to realizing in this work is that being a racist is not a static identity that mm. I either am in the past and am not now <laughs> or wasn't right. in the past and am now. It's a yeah. fluid identity that I live into or live away from with every decision I make or everything I say, mm. you know, it's That's it's not way. something we are permanently or aren't permanently. It's something that we either live more away from or more toward in the choices we make, yeah. right? Yeah. And to be able to like meet people in that, you're gonna fail, I fail. Mm -hmm. I've failed even in the process of the convention, you know? Yeah. Like I just, there have been things yeah. that have happened to where I have to remind myself, like, this is not fundamentally who I am. It's what I've done. And now I have a choice to make around what I do now. And I want to do differently. And I want to do that with other people who I love, who are walking with me on that. Yeah. That to me, if that could become the way we operate as people of faith around race, you know, I mean, it's just true of being a disciple, right? Mm -hmm. We're not like perfectly disciples of Jesus now and don't need any more work. We're like, I'm look at the- I'm so grateful for the disciples. <laughs> I am so grateful for people like Peter, who is just yes. a total screw up. Oh, and yeah. just, I mean, he denied Jesus three times. Mm -hmm. And that's who Jesus like, was like, it's you. You got to yeah. lead my church. Like, you you need to keep this work going. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like okay. Well, if if Peter can do it, if yeah. if you know, um, or yeah. you know, one of the um, core values of Open Table UCC is that we are a community bound together by our common love, not our common belief. Mm -hmm. So if your belief changes, you are still welcome, because yeah. I think a lot of us have had that experience of being in somewhat fundamentalist churches, one way or the other, liberal or yeah. uh, conservative, where you start to question your beliefs. It starts to change. You start to ask different questions of the things that are just conventional wisdom. And um, you find yourself either explicitly or implicitly on the outside now. Yep. And I think Protestants are really guilty of this more than anyone else because we began because of doctrinal disputes. Mm. And then in, in, instead of 
coalescing around one identity. We just made different ones. So the Lutherans went over here and the Zwinglians went over here and the, right, every, everyone went their own way and started their own thing. So we've just been splitting and splitting and splitting ever since. And so when we want to leave a church, we just start a different denomination yeah, with a, a whole different belief system, right? Um, this is just what we do. And, and I, I think the same can be said. I, I, I know that in uh, a previous church I was a part of that was really progressive and really uh, justice-minded. A person uh, left the church because they were using styrofoam cups. And they said, how can you call yourself a, a, a church that cares about the environment while you're using styrofoam cups? And the pastor said, this is another form of fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. You escaped fundamentalism, but you didn't. It, it came with you, it mm -hmm. just changed its shape. And you're still basing your belonging on our common beliefs about what's right and wrong and not around any kind of common love. And so we wanna make sure that anyone who is a part of Open Table is, you know, no matter where you are and whatever journey it is that you're on, you're, you're beloved and you're welcome. And it doesn't matter if you lose your faith entirely, you're still welcome as a part of our community. Mm. Because we're all on a journey like uh, I I can't promise that I can do that perfectly right like mm -hmm. I know I'm going to mess up on that I'm going to place unrealistic expectations I'm going to you know and and have to to scale back and be like wait I'm sorry I I put something on you that's not yours like yeah. which if I can't get it right <laughs> like I, I need to give grace you know, yeah. brothers. So. Well, the dogs are barking, which ah. means that we are at the end of our time together. We did set them <laughs> to do that. We did set the dogs upstairs to yeah. bark at the Amazon delivery person <laughs> at exactly 2.15, the time when you had to leave. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Claire and Juliet and Amazon person. Um, and thank you, Will. For the time yeah. that you spent with us this and sharing your heart and what you do. And we're looking forward to um, both the re reaffirmation. Is that no? What's the <laughs> refounding re convention? Refounding convention. That's the word. And a reaffirmation of vows. Bus yes. tour in which the folks are not sleeping on the bus, but are going to be all around <laughs> the state doing some really cool work. We look forward to hearing all about that. And hopefully somebody who listens to this podcast connects and is at one or both of those things. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for having me. Thanks, Will.